Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? As per usual, Gary, I am absolutely fantastic. This week in particular, I am very good because back to jiu-jitsu. Outdoor jiu-jitsu, though, so that's a... That's a nice little little touch, you know, a bit of rain. You know, you're trying to do some nogi jujitsu, which is obviously already incredibly slippy when people start sweating. And um, but now we have a little bit of rain mixed in, so you know, my entire game is gone because all I've got is pressure passing. And if you can't put your feet down and put your shoulder into someone's throat, you ain't got pressure passing. So the rain really doesn't help my game. Not that my game is that good just putting it out there. I'm like now I have literally less of a game completely. But it was good to get back. My body is in, I was going to say in bits, it's not necessarily in bits, but there's all these little dings and stuff, you know, like I'm getting a lot of bruises. I'm like, I forgot that the body, you, you got bruises, you know, like, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you kind of like, you go through your life, you're like, oh, well, I don't bruise, but then you go to jujitsu and you're like, oh no, fuck yeah. My body's actually incredibly weak. It's just basically a sack of jelly, you know? Um, but other than that, fantastic. The, the weather is getting better. How are you, Gary? I'm excellent. I can't complain at all. I've been doing a good bit of uh jiu-jitsu myself and lifting and i'm on the the bulk train so i mean you know life is good so gaining weight eating plenty of food and uh yeah jiu-jitsu is, is going well having fun i mean we're indoors in my shed a couple of us you know just training away so it's it's technically legal i think now um because you're allowed to six people in your back garden um so yeah that's fun and tomorrow i start on my neurosurgery placement in CUH for three weeks. So that's exciting too. Although there was a ransomware attack on the HSE over the last few days. So I'm not sure how they're going to do neurosurgery in the absence of uh, radiology systems. Uh, so I feel like my placement might be a little left down for the first week, but we'll see how it goes. I didn't even hear anything about that. What happened? <laughs> there was a ransomware attack on the, on the all HSE systems and um basically there's like all the systems are down there's no like electronic files you can't get blood reports back you have to like triple check everything on paper like radiology is down so basically if there's anything involved in radiology which is basically everything these days interventional cardiology and fucking angiograms and you know mri etc it all seems to be uh, down or at least significantly slowed. So uh, yeah, the, whoever it was, basically they want a ransom from HSE. It's the largest uh, cyber attack on the state in history, which is interesting. And they followed up then, well, they don't know if it's, if it's the same group, but they attack, attacked the Department of Health then today as well. So HSE and the Department of Health. So yeah, Ireland just got heavily trolled, but obviously not great if you're a a cancer patient or anyone who needs like urgent care because your appointments are basically delayed now and surgeries can't go ahead etc so yeah not cool fairly scum as well after a global pandemic it is a bit harsh like i mean you could pick better timing <laughs> yeah but anyway look what are we going to talk about today the thing that we're going to talk about today is does fat loss even work right because look we can fucking wax lyrical all day long and be like this is how you lose fat blah 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 we did an entire obesity series we're now moving on to this more fat loss series and it's a it's an obvious enough question to ask right because naturally enough you talk to 10 people on the street nine out of them will probably tell you that oh i tried dieting before and then they'll also say it didn't work for me you know so that can obviously lead you to the the 
logical assumption that, okay, well, fat loss diets clearly don't work, right? But as we've discussed before, like this obviously depends on how you actually define work in terms of it's like, are we talking short-term? Are we talking long-term? What's the end outcome? And as we'll probably conclude this episode, what you do for a fat loss diet is not the same stuff that you do to maintain that fat loss. And that often gets missed. And unfortunately, that leads to a lot of confusion when trying to answer this overarching question because people basically try to maintain their fat loss. They're like, oh yeah, I'm actually relatively happy that I lost 20 kilos, whatever. And they try to maintain that by doing the same stuff that you know facilitated them losing 20 kilos, which probably isn't ideal in most cases, right? Especially the way most people set up fat loss diets. Anyway, look, we'll get stuck into it. What are your thoughts, Gary? Does fat loss even work? Where do we even begin unpacking this? Yes, fat loss works. Okay, that's it. That's the end of this podcast. Thank you very much. Good night. No, does fat loss work all the time or do approaches to fat loss work all the time, I should say. And there are rare exceptions where this is not the case. So you will hear people say online, for example, that, you know, a calorie deficit will absolutely lead to weight loss, like weight loss broadly. Um, some examples of where that wouldn't be the case would be, for example, in something like heart failure, certain kidney diseases, etc., where you have changes in fluid shift within the body and um, that could lead to increases in weight independent of changes in body fat or energy expenditure, energy intake, etc. But they're obviously the not the situations we're talking about when it comes to uh, your typical kind of general population desiring fat loss. Now, it does occur on, on a more micro level, I guess you could say. An easy one there is the menstrual cycle, for example, when we have uh, shifts in, in, fluid, in fluid balance, electrolyte balance. Um, again, that, that modifies weight independent of specific energy status, so to speak. But one of the, they're all kind of just changes in weight secondary to fluid shift, really. And the other, I guess, exception that's more specific to fat itself is a disease or condition that's referred to as lipedema. And this is a condition that you may have seen people with in the past, but may not have been able to identify. And basically it's characterized by a pathological accumulation of adipose tissue or fat, typically in the lower limbs. And it's basically very uh, compact fat that has a different texture to it. Um, and it doesn't actually readily, it's not readily released and, and broken down in the same way that standard healthy body fat tissue would be. And for these individuals, they can absolutely lose fat and lose weight, but that fat itself is very, very resistant uh, to mobilization. And it's not necessarily subject to the same rules and regulations as normal healthy body fat, but that is a rare um, exception uh, and, and does, is not applicable to most people, I guess. Um, there are other conditions like uh, lymphedema, for example, especially after cancer um, or, or different types of surgery, you can get lymphedema, but like, again, these aren't the typical situations that people are referring to. As we bring it back to the more kind of normal uh, general population, does fat loss work or do diets work, approaches to fat loss work? Yes, they do, okay, with varying levels of success and the trajectory of different approaches occurs at different rates, okay? So when you, when you initially ask this question, as Paddy said, you have, to add, you have to figure out what you mean by work. And some of the ways that I think specific to the fitness industry, 
that people will discuss calorie deficits and energy balance. They'll talk about, you know, finding a calorie deficit and then sticking with that. Okay. But as we get into in this discussion, it's actually like the level at which you're in a deficit or at maintenance is a dynamic um, number or a dynamic level. And what that means is that as you progress through a fat loss diet, not only is your body mass reducing and thus you're a smaller vessel burning less energy, but there's also a number of changes um, for uh, into hormones or uh, governing, you know, animalism, catabolism, um, energy expenditure, energy intake, uh, how much you're moving, how much you're sweating, etc. All these variables are modified as you begin to diet. And then as a result, that's also going to modify your energy expenditure. So although you may have been in a calorie deficit at one point, you could actually be maintaining that level of calories very well, but your maintenance may have caught up with you. And the rate at which that happens varies between individuals for many different reasons. And I think there are some of the things that we want to cover in this podcast so that you can kind of get clear on why you may have stopped losing weight. Because some people think that it's a, an inherent problem that they're not going to be able to overcome. They say, oh, I, I, I've reached starvation mode, for example, when in fact they've just uh, lost enough weight so that their maintenance has now caught up um, with the initial deficit that they set. So we'll, we'll touch on some more of that later in this episode. Yeah, like there's basically two things on, well, there's multiple things on back here, but there's kind of two overarching things that if you ask someone that says like, oh, I failed a diet, there's kind of two things that come out, right? And the first one is that they basically plateau, right? And they don't know what to do then afterwards, especially if they were very aggressive with their fat loss out the gate, you know, like they dropped a thousand calories. Like once you drop a thousand calories from your diet, and let's say you're a, a relatively normal average person and you're eating 2000, 2500 calories. It's like, you don't give yourself a lot of wiggle room to, you know, go down below that you know it's like what are you going to do eat less than a thousand calories it's like probably not sustainable for a large chunk of people like and i don't even mean sustainable for a long time i mean like even for a day two days you know like eating 900 calories it's just it's not very filling right so that's the first thing it's like what are we talking about there in terms in terms of failure it's that kind of plateauing and then not knowing what to do going forward from that right and then the other failure point that in people's perception anyway is they reach their weight loss goal and then they're like, oh, cool. They slip back into poor habits. They don't know how to maintain that. They don't know what to do with the diet. And we've actually kind of touched on that before when we did the obesity, but we've touched on a lot of stuff that we're going to cover in this episode when we walked through the, when we, if I could even speak, when we talked through the uh, obesity series uh, in terms of like, you know, the longer term, how to lose fat and that kind of stuff, right? And um, but this is something that you need to take into account because obesity kind of seems like a, a different beast entirely, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, obesity is not the same as just your, your average Joe and Jane trying to lose some body fat, right? It's like, no, this is, this is a, we'll call it a disease state. That's how people view it. Now it's not, it is to an extent, but it's not like, you know, an actual disease state overall, although it can get pathological the further you let it go. Right. But that's kind of not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the obesity stuff. We're actually just talking about your average person, the average type of person that would come to us and be like, right. Oh, it's summertime. I want to lose a few pounds. I want to tone up. I want to build some muscle, blah, blah, blah. You know, just your average person. Right. And you would think if 
your average person can't lose weight, right? They, they seem to have this perception that they can't lose weight. What do the people at the other end of the spectrum, like, or, or I should say at the end of the spectrum, they must find it really a hard thing to do because if the average person is struggling with it, then the unaveraged person is going to struggle with it more, especially on the, the, we'll call it the fatter side of the spectrum rather than the more we'll call it jacked side of the spectrum like if you're this recreational athlete it's like you probably have a, an easier time of fat loss than someone that's been obese for the last 20 years you know um because you've less to lose you also have like you know good training habits etc right um so i suppose to kind of start this uh, especially continue on from the last few episodes that we've been doing together gary is what goes on with the metabolism like what's going on metabolically like, or is there stuff going on metabolically that would make potentially fat loss harder? Because you touched on it there. Like one of the things is obviously as you lose weight, you lose weight, right? So you are a smaller human overall. And as we talked about in, in the last few podcasts and also in the obesity series, it's like, it's, it's kind of a misnomer when people say that you have a slow metabolism if you are heavier, when in reality, it's like, no, your metabolism is fucking cranking. You know, it's like, it's going because you weigh more. So if you're just walking down the street, you have to burn more calories to do that same, you know, hundred whatever steps, you know, it's like you're burning more. Therefore your metabolism is higher. So like, what's, what's going on here, Gary? Like, are there metabolic adaptations that we need to be aware of when we're trying to lose fat? Absolutely. And you've probably felt or experienced some of these yourself, even if you weren't aware specifically why it was happening. Um, but the first one, I guess, to touch on, which isn't necessarily that meaningful or modifiable, so to speak, is the thermic effect of feeding. So we discussed that in a previous podcast. We said that the thermic effect of feeding or diet-induced thermogenesis was effectively the amount of energy that's burned as a result of consuming, digesting, processing food, okay? So for example, if you're consuming a 4,000 calorie diet, you're obviously going to require more energy to break down all that food, uh, to undertake all the digestive processes and bring all those nutrients to where they need to go than if you're on a 1,000 calorie diet, okay, obviously. So there's a natural decline in your diet-induced thermogenesis or thermic effective feeding as you begin to reduce your calories, but this is an absolute reduction, but relatively it's maintained. Okay. So it's basically scales um, more or less linearly with the level of calories that you're consuming, provided we're maintaining the same macronutrient composition. Okay. So that's not necessarily um, something to worry about as such, because it just kind of is, you know, and some of the things that you could improve with regards to diet induced thermogenesis are already baked into the rest of your nutrition recommendations. For example, consuming more protein um, can enhance th the thermic effect of feeding, but that's something you would want to be doing for various other reasons. The same can be said for fiber, and, it, and it's, it's kind of a bit more complicated with fiber, but uh, fiber, again, is something that can increase the, the thermic effect of feeding or diet-induced thermogenesis to some degree. But again, we'd be recommending that anyway. So standard nutritional recommendations apply effectively. Basal metabolic rate does go down as well. Um, we touched on it in the last podcast, your basal metabolic rate is effectively the energy required to sustain basic bodily processes, okay? So if you're lying down, that doesn't mean you're burning more energy because your heart's still beating, your kidneys are still functioning, your brain is functioning, etc. So all of that's a required energy. And it does go down with dieting. And it seems to go down um, a little bit more 
than would scale specifically with body weight, for example. Uh, so that means there is, you know, a, a compensatory decrease. Okay, there's an extra little bit that drops, and recovery of that um, takes place after refeeding, uh, but it may not uh, reach full recovery if you haven't, let's say, uh, actually recovered your uh, calories to an adequate level. Now, how important that is. Is, is sort of dependent on how lean you get as well, because drops in basal metabolic rate might be much more pronounced if you've gotten from 20% uh, body fat, let's say as a male, down to 4% with veins on your abs for a bodybuilding show. Okay, there's going to be far more pronounced uh, differences there. But I guess just to know that that is something that uh, is modified. But again, it's something that we can't really, uh, you know, we don't have much wiggle room in terms of changing either, okay, because it's, it's subconscious effectively. Now, the next just one, on that, we yeah. should also remember just to, to re-highlight, we talked about it in a previous episode, that like the biggest correlate with like basal metabolic rate is like body mass, well, lean body mass, I should say, right? So like that is, that is important to remember because that also does influence how we approach a diet because we don't want to basically just become a smaller version of ourselves, And um, we want to ideally build some muscle along the way, because that's actually going to ideally, hopefully keep that basal metabolic rate in a good place because you're either retaining the amount of lean mass that you have. Now lean mass is more than just muscle, but obviously like muscle is a little bit more modifiable than, I don't know, fucking liver size or something, you know? So it's like the, we can do stuff to impact on that. So it is a, a variable that we need to be aware of but like Gary said earlier on about like the thermic effect of feeding is like this is already part of our general recommendations one of the reasons we want to get enough protein on the diet is so that we can actually maintain the amount of muscle mass that we have one of the reasons we generally recommend resistance training on a diet is because again maintenance of that muscle mass and especially if you are an individual who has never done resistance training and you're like oh i've tried dieting beforehand and you're just like I basically just became a smaller version of myself. Like I didn't have the shape, the tone, the whatever that I wanted, like resistance training is going to be your way to get there. And as we discussed in a previous podcast, like it is one of those things that people kind of overblow the effects of it. You know, it's like people are like, Oh, gain a kilo of muscle and you know, your metabolism will be on fire, blah, blah, blah. And that's not really the case. I think it's like, 50 extra calories for per kilo something like that which obviously like that's significant over time but we have to remember that it's not just a case of having that muscle it's also the case of first of all having to move that muscle around like you now weigh a kilo extra but then also in the process of trying to build one kilo of actual contractile tissue like you put a lot of energy demands into that like i would love to be able to gain a kilo of muscle you know like there's there's a lot of energy that goes into gain that and it is actually rather significant you know but anyway that was just a hopefully a nice little uh reminder that lean mass is important when we're looking at basal metabolic rate but like gary said there is this kind of overshoot while dieting and there's a few mechanisms for this like you can dive into the research you can also see some like uh i was gonna say disagreement between different scientists and how much of a magnitude of effect this is what's going on etc like it is one of those things where it's like this is kind of an unanswered question and we'll touch on a few things hopefully anyway that could potentially play into this um, and we have also touched on some other things that potentially play into this such as you know in previous episodes i mean such as like you know 
the metabolic efficiency that you're like, you know, mitochondria has like mitochondrial efficiency, proton leakage and stuff. And it's like, this is variable between individuals, but again, there is, there is some leeway here. So it's not just, we have the perfect predictive model overall. And that is something to, to be aware of. Anyway, Gary, sorry for interrupting you. Yeah. And, but it is a good point to bring up because I think that sometimes when you get down to that level of like looking molecularly at the expression of uncoupling proteins and stuff, it, it can seem like it's totally irrelevant, but it actually is relevant because there, there is research on this where if you, and, and just to, I guess, quickly recap on what we talk, what, what you mean, like when we talk about metabolic efficiency or specifically mitochondrial efficiency here, what we're referring to is, you know, if we have a unit of energy substrate, let's say it's glucose, you know, basically how much ATP are we getting out of that? How efficient is that machine running versus just wasting it through the production of extra heat? Okay. Um, because that just wouldn't be very effective. You know, if you're constantly just giving off uh, heat as energy, you're not getting the maximum amount of ATP, which is fueling your cells. Okay. And the expression of these uncoupling proteins, um, as the name suggests, it basically uncouples that relationship between the energy substrate and the ATP that's produced. If you have uh, more of those uncoupling uh, proteins at baseline, uh, that, that somewhat predicts how responsive you'll be to a diet. And there is research on this where the researchers will look at the baseline expression of these uncoupling proteins um, and look at how uh, the, those who have lower versus higher expression respond to a diet. And it's actually the case that people who have higher expression of these will do better. So there is practical relevance at the real world level when you do zoom out. And one of the other things that's interesting, I suppose, given the theme of this podcast, is that what you do see is that following weight loss and once someone gets to that new steady body weight, there is actually um, a decrease in the expression of those uncoupling proteins, demonstrating to you that not only is this a variable that at baseline might predict outcomes, but also that it's modifiable. So it makes sense when you think about it, because if you've got you know lower energy status, your cellular machinery is effectively trying to be as efficient as possible so as to not waste any of the energy energy substrates that are coming in. So as a result, you get an increase in that efficiency, which is a really good thing evolutionarily, but not a great thing if you're trying to maximize body fat loss, obviously. Um, so yeah, there, there are just some things to, to keep in mind. You don't need to know all the molecular mechanisms, but it's it's interesting to zoom out and see that it actually does have practical importance. Now, other than that, one of the things that, that I guess is, is you know, there's, there's two different components to this, but if we think of movement generally, um, some of that is conscious, some of it's subconscious, and then some of the conscious component of that is also not necessarily intentional exercise, okay? And the way, like this is broken down in, in using different terminology, but I think simple way of looking at it is exercise activity thermogenesis and non-exercise activity thermogenesis. You'll have heard the phrase NEAT before, very likely if you've been in the fitness space, and that's what that refers to, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So exercise activity thermogenesis is very easy to understand. This is the amount of calorie that's burned through intentional exercise. So that can be your weight training, um, it can be your uh, cycling, whatever you're doing that's intentional exercise. It may also be the act of, of you actually getting your steps in. Um, and to be honest, like it really is just kind of being pedantic for research purposes, because obviously a lot of people, when you hear them discuss their knees or getting their knees up, they count their steps as non-exercise activity thermogenesis. 
but it clearly is an intentional um, effort to get your exercise up. But I mean, I don't care what you call it. Ultimately, it's all the same, really. Like you're just trying to get your activity up. So the exercise activity thermogenesis is effectively those conscious elements. We could put steps in there or we could put it in the other one. But the reason they're kind of uh, split into two like that is because non-exercise activity thermogenesis is basically non-intentional exercise. So it may be activity, but it's not necessarily exercise. So if you have to go out and do the lawn, if you're, you know, doing the, the laundry, the dishes, um, you know, even just me like fidgeting here, if you're watching the video, you'll see I'm moving a lot with my hands with the pen and stuff. I look quite animated. All those sorts of things fall under that bracket of non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Also like, um, you know, tapping your foot under the desk, blinking, etc. All those things are non-exercise because yes, they're activity and yes, they burn calories, but it's not, not necessarily intentionally for that purpose, okay? And the, the reason that's so important is because very clearly exercise activity thermogenesis, like that intentional aspect, that's really within your control, okay? Um, because everyone clearly has the agency to be able to decide whether or not they're gonna go and exercise, okay? And um, people have that decision, it's your choice. You have a choice whether or not you're gonna do 10,000 steps per day, okay? Obviously within limits. Um, but non-exercise activity thermogenesis is actually uh, not so much within your choice. Like you don't uh, decide when you blink. You don't always decide when you tap your foot under the desk. Um, you know, even having to do things like uh, yard work or do what, you know, cutting the lawn, etc. Like I mentioned, like yes, they're intentional activities. They're not intentional exercise. And what you see is that those activities actually go down a lot during dieting and um, particularly in some individuals where you'll just find yourself not being willing uh, to do those different types of things, relaxing more, even adopting more like reclined position when you're sitting down, just basically trying to minimize muscular work and energy expenditure. And again, that is something that is susceptible to considerable uh, variability. And that's one of those reasons that we suggest very often people trying to be conscious about getting their steps up because it's, it's a way of trying to compensate uh, for some of that loss of activity yeah and just on that like the the neat stuff like the, the non-exercise stuff it's probably most apparent how much this or how variable this is when you know like competitive bodybuilders like obviously we know a lot of competitive bodybuilders and you'll see competitive bodybuilders like very close to a show like let's say within three weeks out right so they're like you know they're basically <coughs> at this stage they've no body fat for all intents and purposes right um and like I, you genuinely could see a car crash in front, car crash in front of you, right? And if you're standing beside a competitive bodybuilder, like they probably wouldn't even turn their head to look at it, yeah. you know? Like they're just like, I'm not putting forth that much energy, you know? Anything could happen, and they'd just be like, no, you know? Like there's so little extraneous movement going on, they're just not, they don't have the energy for it. And well, they do have technically the energy for it because they are still eating and stuff, but their body's like, no, we need to fucking shut down anything that's unnecessary except for like the survival stuff or in their head, they're like, I need to get my steps in. I need to go to the gym, blah, blah, blah. You know, like they still do that stuff. And usually with the, the help of copious amounts of stimulants, but that's another story, right? Um, so it, it, the neat stuff, it's just it's really important to understand to this whole conversation because like Gary said, that's kind of the one that you have the, the least control over, right? Because like, again, like you have control over how much you exercise now. Again, that's not the, 
the extent of it obviously there's constraints to that like it's like you can't just be like oh yeah sorry kids i have to go exercise for another 30 minutes or whatever you know like obviously there are constraints to that for real life but what we mean is like the ability to exercise like you can still control that you can still go i need to burn a thousand calories today like you can go burn that thousand calories intentionally in terms of go do some cardio or lift weights or whatever it is that you want to do to burn that thousand calories. But you don't really control, like I said, the amount of times you blink, you don't control like how much you're moving around. Like, you know, like, again, like it, it's very variable depending on your life. Like you could have a very, like we'll call it reactive job, you know, where you have to go around, walk around, investigate things or get things out of a, a filing cabinet, blah, 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 whatever it is. And like some days your activity might be you know, huge. Some days they might be low. Like you don't really control that, even though you control going to work, you know, or whatever it is. Right. So there's a huge amount more variability to this. And this is unfortunately the linchpin of why people, of what, again, solving one of the questions that we have about why diets fail and like Gary kind of alluded to there earlier on, it's like this is a, an evolutionarily advantageous thing to occur, right? This kind of metabolic adaptation, right? And the, the, do you anything else to say on the, the metabolism before I move on to this now? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Um, so the, the like metabolic adaptations that occur, like this is beneficial for your survival, right? This is something that technically you want you know, and technically you don't want if you're trying to lose fat, but technically you want in case there's like, I don't know, fucking nuclear war or something. And, you know, we're, we're having to walk for hundreds of miles to, uh, you know, survive, right? Whatever. Right. Um, like you want to have a metabolism that adapts, right. You want to be one that goes, Oh, food is low. That means my activity is low. I'm going to conserve energy. Like that's what you want, right. You do not want a lack of conservation of energy. You do not want someone that just burns off uh, thousands of calories every single day. You know, like we've discussed it before on the podcast, like Gary has a, a, a more adaptive metabolism than I do, right? Like I, when I'm dieting down, I'll still keep moving around the same amount, you know, like I'll still just fidget around, still do whatever. And like, I'll basically fidget myself to death, right? Whereas Gary would, you know, stop moving a bit more like you stop sweating and stuff you know like again like that's something you don't have active control over right whereas i would just sweat myself into a fucking early death if we had to you know survive right so and this is this is most apparent when they do like you know when they do i suppose that's not the the right terminology but when they research uh uh concentration camps and stuff it's like oh well who died faster it's like oh these are all the ones that have less adaptive metabolisms the ones that survived are the ones that could you know, regulate their energy expenditure, they could downregulate it, right? So it is a, a benefit, right? It's a real, real benefit to have an adaptive metabolism, except if we live in the modern world where food is freely available and, you know, it, it becomes harder to lose fat. And I've, I have loads of clients, like obviously the two of us coach a lot of people, right? And we have coached a lot of people. So we see this more often, like you'll see the differences in how people's metabolism reacts to given calorie changes you know like i might have one client and be like right we're going to drop it like 200 calories out of the diet we've been losing that whatever 300 grams to 500 grams per week you know but we want to be losing that like 700 to you know a kilo per week right we're just like you know that's we'll just say that's what we're doing right and i'll be like right we need to just drop out about 200 calories we want to make these habit changes we're going to do xyz whatever right and you'll see some people and they'll just go boom right we drop that out they get the exact fat loss that we predicted based on 200 calorie drop. It's like, this is like 
as if I have a magic wand and I'm like, we, we have it fucking down to a perfect science, right? Whereas the next person you'll see, they, I drop it, I go 200 calories less. And then they're like, oh yeah, my body weight did not change this week. And you're like, what the fuck happened there? And you're like, okay, we'll give it another week because, you know, fluid changes, you know, stool volume, like maybe they increased veg to compensate for less starchy carbs, like different things that can happen. And then they're like the next week, they're like, no, like I, I only dropped like, you know, a hundred grams this week or something. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, how is this happening? I thought I would have seen a bigger jump. And like, I'm obviously, you know, exaggerating a little bit here, but you know what I mean? Like there's people out there that their metabolism is just a bit more adaptive to the changes that we make. Now, usually it doesn't happen within a week. Like uh, that's again, me being like hyperbolic with this, but you will see people that are like one guy can diet for 20 weeks on the exact same calories. And it's like, we get the exact same predicted weight loss that we want. Whereas this other person diets for three weeks and then all of a sudden weight loss completely stalls out, right? Especially if you're trying to be more aggressive with this stuff, right? If you're trying to drop like, I don't know, you're trying to drop over a kilo per week, all of a sudden they're like, no, body's dropping nothing now, you know? Whereas perhaps if you had taken it a little bit slower and you could get more out of it, you know? So there there are some variables here that we need to be aware of. But the main thing I want you to get into your head is that, we do have this adaptive component to metabolism. And one of the things that changes most with this is that NEAT, that non-exercise activity thermogenesis, right? That's why we structured the conversation like this, because again, using those same two examples, we both drop off 200 calories. Both those individuals, they weigh the same, they exercise the same, et cetera. They're like, right, cool. I have to go into the gym. I have to do these exercises. They put forth the energy into that. They have to, you know, burn off what I'll say, 200 calories of cardio at the end of their workout, whatever, right? So we're standardizing the amount that they actually exercise in terms of, you know, calorie burn or energy expenditure, right? And then we also go, oh, well, we want to look after a niche, you know, because we're, we're fit fan here, you know, so we're going to track our steps. So we both get them to do 10,000 calories, 10,000 steps uh, per day, right? It's like, yeah, cool, do that. And we still see this change in metabolism. And even though we've technically standardized niche, you know, by keeping the steps the same, there's no way that I can standardize blinking. There's no way that I can standardize the amount of times that you get up to go to the toilet. Cause this is stuff that happens. Like someone with an adaptive metabolism will go, Oh yeah, I need to pee, but they're basically waited out a little bit longer, you know, whereas someone who's like, Oh, I'm full of beans, full of energy. Oh yeah, I need to pee. I'll just go pee. You know, I don't care if I have to walk to the toilet again in 30 minutes or an hour. Whereas the individual that's like, Oh, my metabolism is like very adaptive. It's slowing down. Uh, they're going to be like, right, I need to like ration out the amount of energy that I'm going to expend walking to the toilet and stuff, you know? And like, this is not under conscious control. This is, you know, we'll call it subconscious. It's just what your body is doing. It's the signals that your body is giving out. And unfortunately, some people have this um, adaptive metabolism. I say, unfortunately, in the modern world. However, if the fucking tables turned overnight, you guys with an adaptive metabolism are going to be in a fucking great position to actually survive. So we need people with adaptive metabolisms to continue, you know, life. And so it is something that it can be difficult for individuals trying to lose weight or fat in particular but it is actually technically a benefit, right? And I just want that to be the, the, the thought process that you get into this where it's like, okay, some people are going to have adaptive metabolisms. Some people are going to adapt quicker. Some people are going to adapt slower. There's always going to be some degree of slowing or adaptation of the metabolism. It's not like I literally will just exude heat the exact same rate. Like when I get 
leaner, like my body temperature, etc., does go down, obviously. But again, it's going to be different for everyone. And that is something that we have to take account of. And there are practices, there are ways that we can structure the diet so that this is less of a concern. And we've talked about these before in terms of like, there used to be a thought process of like using refeeds for this. And that can work, but those refeeds have to generally be over three days. And even then I would probably be like, right, let's just do an actual week. Like a, a we'll call it a diet break because people generally call it a week, a diet break. Um, but we'll just say we're going to do a diet break. And what we do, and like we teach this on the coach's corner as well, where it's like we t- tell people or teach them how to structure a diet so that you have blocks of time where it's like, this is when we're going to push the diet. This is when we're going to take a step back and we're going to have like, you know, a diet break. We're going to eat at maintenance. So we, you know, basically wash off some of this uh, metabolic adaptation that has occurred. Now, it's not going to get rid of everything because you are generally going to be lighter. You're generally going to have some, you know, there's other things that are going on. Um, and a week is not just, you know, going to fix everything, you know, maybe it's going to be a month, maybe it's two months. Again, it depends on how lean you are, the exact specifics, right? But it is something to be aware of that we do have practices to potentially overcome this. And that kind of goes into the, when I said there was kind of two questions that we're answering with, you know, do diets work or does fat loss even work? The second thing is like, if you structure things correctly, you know, it does work more or it does work better than if you structure things incorrectly or you have a diet structure that is, you know, great for fat loss initially, but not great for maintaining that fat loss longer term, right? Um, but anyway, Gary, do you have anything to say on that kind of adaptive metabolism component? Uh, just to say quickly, I suppose that it does also work in the opposite direction. Um, it's not the purpose of this podcast, but I know that, you know, some of you will have experienced this when gaining weight. Like for me, it, it, it affects me way more when in a surplus than in a deficit. Like, yeah, there will be some adaptation when in a deficit, but personally, once I start to bump my calories up, like my maintenance starts to catch up with me super quickly. I start to sweat like an absolute animal. I just took so much energy to train, feel invincible. Obviously that's only to a point Then you train too much and you feel totally goosed. Uh, but yeah, that, that is something that massively uh, impacts me. And there can be a huge difference between the amount I require in a surplus and the amount I require in a deficit because of that adaptation that works on both sides. And it, although it would seem really convenient to think that some people just adapt on the way down um, and some people just adapt on the way up. I think that's the way people typically think of it. Like, for example, those who adapt on the way up when they're overfeeding, uh, you typically consider these to be your hard gainers, so to speak. And those who adapt really quickly on the way down will be those who struggle to lose weight. But there's a bit of a spectrum there and then you can be mixed as well. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's very difficult to just say clear cut um, where you fit into that box. Yeah. And in my experience, I'm like, it's usually the people that struggle on the way down. They also struggle on the way up in terms of it's like, like you said as well, it's like you find that your metabolism adapts on the way down and then it also adapts on the way up. Right. It's usually they notice both. Now, like you said, it's usually, or it's not usually the case, uh, it is oftentimes the case that one or other of those will be more adaptive, right? Like you're saying, like you're more adaptive on the way up, but you still do notice the adaptations on the way down, you know? Um, like I have had, had clients that are the same where they're like, oh, on the way down, they struggle with the fat loss, the adaptations kick in, but then we increase calories. We're like, oh, well, we predict maintenance is at this level. We increase calories. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh no, I'm actually still losing weight. And you're like, okay. And then you go, oh, I'll increase calories again. And you're like, 
we're still losing weight. You're like, okay, what the fuck's going on here? And in reality, it's just because now all of a sudden they're fucking their training sessions are so much more intense. Like they're using something like, I don't know, like an Apple watch or something, which you know, tracks their calories. It's like they were training hard on the way down. They were like, yeah, I'm putting as much energy as I can into this. And, um, but then all of a sudden you give them more calories and all of a sudden their 500 calorie gym session, it turns into this fucking thousand five hundred calorie gym session that they're just fucking throwing weights around. And it's like, this is like, everything is now going, you know, at a hundred percent, even though, we're trying to gain weight now or trying to just find maintenance is like you're actually expending way more energy and again it's hard to like i can't say that that's going to be a great tool to use like that's fantastic if you could just be like right we're going to go aggressive with the diet and then i'm going to make myself look like a magician by increasing calories and all of a sudden fat loss you know rockets along it's like like there's no way to kind of predict that ahead of time you know but i always call it that kind of rebound energy expenditure and a lot of people do experience that especially as they wash off some of the fatigue of dieting down all of a sudden within a week two weeks they're like i thought my maintenance was at this level but all of a sudden my maintenance is at you know 500 above where i thought it was supposed to be and you're like what, what's going on there and again it's just because you're actually just getting rid of all these metabolic adaptations, which again is important to know because it answers that second question of like, why do diets fail? And again, people don't know how to structure a diet after the diet ends. People think I'm going to have to stay on these 1200 calories, 1400 calories, whatever it is, restrictive diet that they've been on. Like I have to stay on that for the rest of my life. And reality, that's not necessarily the case. Like you could be actually losing weight on much higher calories after the fact purely because you get rid of all that metabolic adaptations or get rid of all of those metabolic adaptations i should say and then also you start really fueling training all of a sudden you're getting stronger blah 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 you start progressing that you get effectively more lean mass because you're able to you know get stronger you're able to fill up that those muscles with glycogen etc you know so it is important to understand that the metabolism is adaptive this is a component that leads to so much frustration in the fat loss world and unfortunately it's not a case of i can predict this ahead of time you know if that was the case and i could could tell you that fuck me i'd be a millionaire you know i'd be like oh you've got an an adaptive metabolism this is exactly how we need to structure your diet these are the tweaks we're going to make if i if i knew how to do that we wouldn't be fucking on a podcast here you know we would be in the bahamas sipping on fucking mai tais or fucking whatever you know um so well, actually, myself and Gary don't like the seaside. Well, we don't not like the seaside. We we'd be up in the hills somewhere. I'd be in the hills with a, a around a campfire, you know. Yeah, exactly, the fucking ideal, um, in the fucking forest in the back country somewhere no one could ever find us. Thanks. Um, but anyway, look, we won't get off track. So, that's, yeah, that's 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 for after the podcast. We'll discuss that. Um, but uh, this is something to be under to understand if you are on a fat loss side it's like look you might have an adaptive metabolism i don't know i'm not your coach like i know all my clients i'm like i know if they have somewhat of an adaptive metabolic qualities i know based on coaching them because i'm like you know looking at the progress like i can think of a client right now where i'm like literally today i had to just like send them an email where it was like look you are actually still losing weight. You know, it's like, you feel like you're not because you have a more adaptive metabolism. You know, I'm like, I can see the trend here. We are still moving in the right direction. It's just that it's not going as fast as you predicted. And you have to kind of push calories a little bit harder because your metabolism adapts a little bit quicker. But I also know as soon as we go back into gaining, because I've been coaching them for like four years, I'm like, as soon as we go back into gaining, you know, or, you know, adding more calories in, I'm like, 
all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, I can't stop fucking training so hard. I feel fucking great. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I know this is coming down the road. And it's just, we have to get through the fact that on the way down, things are a little bit harder for you, you know? So adaptive metabolisms, they are a thing. It's important to understand. Is there predicted or is there a way to predict this stuff? I don't have one. Do you, Gary? No, unless we start just like literally doing genetic sequencing and PCR and all this sort of stuff with our, our clients. And even then it's like, it's not like we have all yeah, of the data, you know, yeah. it's like, like people always think it's like, oh, science is so advanced, blah, blah, blah. And science is advanced. But like, if you actually look at like the, the human genome, it's like, do you genuinely think that we know every single thing that all of these are doing? Because we don't, like there's all these kind of like post-translational modifications it's like you might have these genes but then the way it's actually expressed in your body is not the way that you would predict because you also have these other genes that we didn't even know interacted but they actually interact like post-translationally when you've actually you know translated quote unquote that your genes into like the proteins and stuff you know so it's like there's so much more that goes on than initially was thought you know um and we don't have all the answers yet you know with like systems biology and stuff we're getting closer and closer to seeing the fucking mind of god but anyway um it's not like we have that data we can't predict it right now unfortunately maybe in the future but unfortunately right now we don't have that right so that was the first thing i think that's uh, people are very aware now of metabolisms that's why fat loss doesn't work right (laughs) like that's that's the biggest reason people's need goes down that's I'd say 90% of the reason where people plateau, it's like all of a sudden their need goes down, assuming, assuming they have some idea of like calories and macros, like realistically, the reason most people fail is because they try to eat healthily, quote unquote healthily, and they just end up eating the same amount of calories. You know, it's like they're, yeah, you just changed your food source. You didn't actually change your calories, you know, which is again, that's, that's potentially beneficial. Like I'm always going to advocate people eat a healthier, like quote unquote healthier food selection choices, et cetera. But if you're trying to manipulate your body composition, you need to change calories in some way, right? Um, so that's probably why most people fail. The second reason is that they don't account for need. And this is something that, especially in the past, before like the really came to the, the forefront. Like I remember, my, this is literally how myself and Gary came into business was talking about need, you know? Like we've talked about it before in terms of like, we were talking about it in a group on Facebook called Irish Fit Fam, uh, which we both got kicked out of, which is you know depressing enough because <laughs> I want to uh, relive and rekindle our, I actually just want to get a screenshot of that initial conversation. But anyway, look, I digress. Um, that is uh, like, we initially got into this because this, this was not something that was being talked about in at least the Irish fitness circle. I know it was a bit more in the American and to some extent, the British uh, circle and um, which is kind of strange now because the Americans, I feel like they were kind of way ahead with a lot of things in like the early 2010s, like the early 2000s. And now I feel like the American fitness industry is about, it's just stopped there, you know? And I feel like the the UK fitness industry is just like exploding with way better, like, uh, first of all, talent, way better approaches, knowledge, et cetera, which is interesting. Um I don't really follow a huge amount. Maybe Australia is fucking coming out. I don't know. Fucking maybe China is coming out with fucking great stuff. I don't know. I don't speak Chinese. Um, so whatever. Anyway, that's a tangent. Um, so the meta- metabolic stuff, really important to understand. However, there are a few other things that I want to just touch on. Like we've talked about it in another area, so we're not going to do a deep dive in all of those things. But in terms of metabolism, Gary, do you have anything else to say on that? No, sir. That's good for me. Fantastic. Now, some of these are medical conditions. And as we discussed, 
most people don't have medical conditions. Well, that's, that's a lie. Most people do have some medical conditions, but most people like to be like, oh, my fat loss it didn't, didn't occur because I have these medical conditions. And in reality, they've never actually got those medical conditions like diagnosed. They're just like, oh, I heard that like thyroid, I'm going to go for the first one, hypothyroidism, right? People go, oh, like that's, that's what I have. That's why my fat loss didn't work, right? Hypothyroidism obviously makes fat loss high, harder, right? It is part of something that regulates your metabolism. If you have lower metabolic rate due to lower thyroid and again like extremely simplified when i say thyroid but if you have lower thyroid like this is something that is going to impact on your fat loss right and thyroid levels do change with uh, fat loss or weight loss and um, like they do generally lower unless obviously you're uh very metabolically deranged individual and you get into a healthy weight range and then it can be go around the opposite way than we normally consider when you uh, lose weight but generally when you eat less calories your thyroid goes down again thyroid is a broad category right and so that's something to be aware of however most people do not have hypothyroidism right like most people are not walking around they're like i fucking my hands and toes and fucking everything else are cold they feel like icicles like they're not going around with all the classic like hypothyroidism uh, symptoms and if they were to go get a a blood panel uh looking at their their fucking hormone levels they're not going to see like yeah they might be on a, a lower end than when they were you know gaining weight or whatever but most people are not going into this like hypothyroid you know level right so don't that's not the first jump that's not the first conclusion if you're like why did my fat loss not work the first conclusion is not it's because you're thyroid okay and if it is, if that is your first conclusion you think that the conclusion is not to just say that the conclusion is to go to the doctor and then get on thyroid medication because you need it, you know? Um, that's the first thing. Do you have anything to say on the old thyroid? No, I mean, it goes down. <laughs> if it's actually a clinically relevant, your doctor will test for it and you'll be managed accordingly. But um, the prevalence of, of hypothyroidism is, is not nearly as, as high as, as people would assume, you know, everyone, everyone likes to think, Oh, I probably have hypothyroidism, but like probably not. Yeah. And like, I've literally coached so many people with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you know, it's like, this is an actual medical condition, like an autoimmune condition. And all of them have been on medication. So they all have low quote unquote, low thyroid, and they just supplement thyroid as a result, you know? And none of them then have hard or have a hard time with fat loss, you know? So if you are in the camp that you think, oh, I just have a thyroid condition, then it behooves you to go to your doctor, get that proven and get on medication for it, right? And as we've discussed previously in the obesity series in terms of like medications and supplements and whatever else, like the pharmacology of fat loss, people often think like, oh, I'll just supplement with thyroid because that'll help with fat loss. And that's not really the way it works in individuals with you know healthy normal levels of thyroid generally it just leads to uh, heart palpitations or heart issues which is no bueno when you're trying to get healthier you know what i mean um so the next thing then is i'm gonna limp i'm gonna limp i can't even speak um i'm going to lump all of these kind of together and um, the first one is like pcos that can make fat loss a lot harder purely by virtue of the like sorry, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, like that can make it harder by virtue of making that individual more insulin resistant, right? And there are obviously other conditions that can make you more insulin resistant. And this can just make it a little bit harder and make fat loss 
slower, we'll say, right? Um, now, it's probably more of an issue when you are gaining or you're trying to gain because it's like this kind of makes you more favorably gain body fat than other places. But either way, it can be an issue. It can make fat loss a little bit harder. So it is something to be aware of. Again, if you have PCOS, like you might have to do different approaches such as like lower carbohydrate approaches. Like that's not generally what I would recommend for a you know, fat loss phase, I'd be like, let's keep carbs as high as possible because we know they impact on all of these other things, leptin, et cetera. Um, but it might be worth a chance in trying it for someone with uh, insulin resistance secondary to like PCOS and stuff, right? But what are your thoughts on that, Gary? Yeah, um, I'm no expert in, in PCOS, but I'm on the ball with what you said. I guess just one thing to, to note is that like very often people um kind of use pcos and pco or polycystic ovaries and synonymous synonymously but uh, they're not necessarily the same thing so the syndrome and the presence of um cysts on the ovaries they don't necessarily always go together so insulin resistance uh, is not necessarily tied with the fact that you have um cysts on your ovaries so that is something to, to speak with your doctor about obviously and again like it is something that actually requires diagnosis as well because what what i've i've seen with some people is that they might have you know been told that they have an ovarian cyst from their doctor and then they read about pcos online and then they're you know they think all oh, right i have that so i'm i'm insulin resistant that i need to do these things whereas um, I have a couple of clients actually with PCOS um, or, or even just ovarian cysts and no insulin resistance, no issues with that or anything. So, um, yeah, just, you know, speak to your doctor. Yeah. And this, this is important as well, because like, they're like, especially with female problems, it's, I shouldn't even call it a problem, female issues, I suppose. Um, like female physiology is just fucking crazy. It just like, you think, you know, something and then it just goes and goes, no, actually in this position, it's completely different, you know? So it's like, you have to really know what you're talking about with this stuff. And it isn't the case of you can just fucking have a shotgun approach and read about PCOS and think like, oh yeah, like that's, that's me. Like I know people with PCOS and they are literally leaner than, leaner than fucking me, you know? Uh, and it's like, like maybe you do have some insulin resistance, but it's like, you are managing this incredibly well. So like, do you technically then not have PCOS because you don't have this component? It's like, but you do have like cysts on your ovaries. And then I also know, like you said, Gary, other individuals that have been told they have cysts on their ovaries or a cyst on their ovary or whatever. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should be going off, uh, researching about PCOS because that's, they're not necessarily the same thing. This could be completely benign. You could have no other symptom of PCOS, you know? Um, but anyway, look, that's a discussion for another day with someone who's actually an expert in the topic, not two idiots um, as ourselves. Um, another thing, again, similar situation with this, menopause can play a role in terms of making it harder to lose fat. And there's a huge variety of reasons for that, which we're not going to get into in this podcast. But one of them is that you can potentially have reduced muscle mass, which then interacts with your basal metabolic rate. And obviously there are changes in hormones at that time, which can make like actual like lipolysis, like actually like, you know, breaking down fat and stuff, it can make it harder. And um, so that is something to be aware of just on that topic. Like this, it's kind of weird as well, because like, a lot of like say progestins and stuff, a lot of like drugs that bodybuilders take, you know, like, and also like a lot of drugs that 
women take for like oral contraceptives can potentially interact with this like the all those like uh progestogens and stuff that the are in like oral contraceptive like they're like 19 more derivatives they're basically fucking like you know the same hormones that bodybuilders take anyway but that's a that's another story um like they can potentially make fat loss harder now is that to say that your oral contraceptive is the reason that you find fat loss hard no not necessarily it depends on what exactly we're talking about because it's not like like oral contraceptives are all the exact same like there's a huge variety in the actual drugs themselves but then also how you respond to those drugs you know so again this is one of those things where you can't just say like oh i can't take the oral contraceptive because it's going to make me fat or it's going to hinder my fat loss or whatever it's like that's not necessarily the case. And again, that's something that you have to weigh the pros and cons of as an individual in consultation with your doctor, you know? Um, and if it is something that you think is hindering your results in terms of like, I don't know, you went on some birth control method and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I found that, I don't know, I gained five pounds or 10 pounds or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, it was really hard to lose weight now. I used to be able to, you know, lose weight faster or whatever. It's like, again, that's something that you need to weigh the pros and cons of and consult with your doctor about, you know, don't just listen to two idiots again on a podcast, right? Um, and if you're interested in that stuff, Lyle McDonald's, the woman's book or women's book, yeah, women's book, yeah. Uh, the women's book, highly recommend it, you know? And um, that's where you'll find all of your answers. Now, Lyle is not a doctor, so I shouldn't say all of your answers um, because you're still going to need to talk to your doctor about this stuff. (laughs) Um, But anyway, do you have anything else to say on that, Gary? No. Fantastic, right? And then also any any disease states that make you more insulin resistant, they're going to potentially play a role in making fat loss harder, right? Uh, Old age is another one, um, generally because you get sarcopenia, which is not great, you know? and then that's, there's obviously other things as well that you could potentially go into, but realistically, they're not something that is, uh, here, will you stop looking off screen? You're giving me distractions over here. I, my incredible uh, girlfriend just brought me tea and homemade cookies. So your better public, half, you mean public appreciation. She didn't even come on camera. I hate to see it. Um, but yeah, look, there's thousands of other potential reasons, but the major reason for most people why they lose with fat loss or they're like, Oh, it doesn't even work. It's because their metabolism changes over time. You know, it's like, this is not a static thing. Most people do not have some sort of issue, some sort of disease state, some sort of illness, some sort of, you know, whatever. And most people, it literally is just a case of their knee goes down or they now weigh less or in reality, and again, as I said earlier on, this is arguably the one of the biggest things that goes wrong, and that is that people just don't know how to set up fat loss diets correctly, right? That's like, why do people fail with fat loss? Well, they went on a poor fat loss diet. That's that's the reason, you know, it's like they tried to eat a thousand calories per day or their idea of a fat loss diet is like, let me consume as few calories as possible and hope for the best. Like that's that was the that was the diet, you know, and like that's not... 
not a successful like you're not setting yourself up for success with that diet you're basically going like how long can i sustain this how long can i survive this and hope to see fat loss as a result of that right and those are the same diets that are probably going to get the worst metabolic adaptations because you're eating a thousand calories when you're supposed to be eating two thousand and all of a sudden you're like i was losing a kilo per week initially and now i'm losing nothing you know um so that is something to be aware of and realistically that is the problem with fat loss most people just don't know how to do fat loss correctly no fault of their own i don't know why people assume just because they eat food that they would know how to structure a fat loss diet right you know it's like this is this is information you need to understand like you wouldn't just go in and go oh i know how to i don't know fucking run the esb or the electrical service in your town or whatever like why would you think you know how to do that like why would you just inherently go like oh yeah of course i know how to you know manipulate all these things you wouldn't right you need an education to start with so why was it why is it any different with fat loss right so you need to get an education to get that i would argue the best way to do it is to get a coach obviously i would argue that because that's the service that we sell and but if you're not going oh i don't want to go down we do yes we do have spaces um but obviously if you do not want to go down that route you can also get it on get from books listen to a podcast etc right um but yeah look i don't really have anything else to say that's realistically the reasons that people fail on fat loss fat loss like do fat loss diets work yes do they work for most people no is it because of some physiological trick where their body goes oh yeah fuck you like we're not losing fat to an extent sometimes uh you do get these metabolic adaptations um but they're usually as a consequence of first of all you just having an adaptive metabolism or usually as a consequence of just poor diet practices in general and not setting things up correctly like the adaptive metabolism even though we led with that like that's realistically less of an issue than the vast majority fail diets because they set the diets up very poorly and ultimately on that second point of do fat loss diets work they generally don't work long term because fat loss diets are not weight maintenance diets. Fat loss diets are not healthy eating diets. Like we can set them up better to set ourselves up better for long-term, you know, weight maintenance, et cetera. But that doesn't inherently mean that the diet that we use to lose fat is going to be the diet that we use forever, you know? So we need to keep that distinction in mind. We need to have a better understanding that your diet is going to change based on your goal and just because you eat a certain way right now, that doesn't mean you're going to need to eat that way for the rest of your life. Do you have anything else to say, Gary? Um, I suppose the only thing, given the topic of discussion, um, if you have a better half who delivers you homemade chocolate chip cookies, that's certainly a barrier to fat loss. Thankfully, I'm on both train, so it's absolutely welcome. Because I was just thinking on this podcast as we were talking god i have 1100 calories to eat and i'm supposed to be going to bed within the next hour so this is uh welcome <laughs> so yeah um i'm dealing with the metabolic adaptations on the other side of the spectrum and that's I, unfortunate that's definitely unfortunate for laura because you always piss sweat at night when you're both it's actually disgusting like honestly I, I just i make myself feel sick at this point genuinely swimming it's even worse now with jujitsu because it's the first time I've been overfeeding for ages. And now when I train the gi, like 
it's it's just revolting. Like it's just so unhealthy and want to sweat. So yeah, it's great. I can't wait for July. Like when you're fucking doing jujitsu in the heat in July. Like our club, I don't know about your club, but it's like you know, we, there's windows in it and everything, but there's not. You know, it's not it's not very well ventilated. Let's just say that you know. And you just pump sweat like that gi literally you take it off it's about five kilos 10 kilos even heavier than when you put it on just because it's fucking drenched with sweat yeah i'll probably be about 4800 calories by the end as well so it'd be great um anyway that's uh this podcast guys firstly we do have coaching spaces available okay and uh I mean this uh, very sincerely, but we will actually be probably coaching or closing our coaching service in three weeks' time for the rest of the summer uh, because we are pretty much at capacity or getting close to it. Um, and as a result, like our clients don't just stay on for a month like this down for longer periods of time. So we're very likely to be booked up then until around August or September. So um, if you are interested in working with us over the summer period, do get in touch. Um, the gyms in Ireland are open on June 7th and we're planning on closing our coaching spaces around June 12th. So we'd highly recommend that if you're interested in getting involved at the return of the gyms to at least get in touch with us and book in a call with us so that we can discuss the prospect of coaching um, rather than waiting um, to that last minute because uh, you may not get a space. So yeah, if you're interested, get in touch. Uh, also, we do have the Coaches Corner, uh, which is education for trainers. So if you're interested in that, you can subscribe and access content on the type of, of thing that we discussed in this podcast and a lot more too. So uh, that's definitely something that's of value. Uh, you can subscribe to our Triage Method newsletter. You can join our free Triage Method community on Facebook. And you can also uh, follow us along on social media. We do post on our Triage Method social media, on Instagram in particular. We do also have our own. Uh, social media uh, profiles myself skinny gaz Paddy at the real Paddy farrell and brian at brian hengis so we do put out uh, valuable content there that you guys should be following along with so yeah other than that guys make sure to leave a rating and review on the podcast if you happen to have a platform that allows you to do so if not or even if you do you could also share it on your story on instagram or whatever social media you use it's always helpful and if you have any questions that you'd like to submit in relation to the podcast you can also submit those in the description box below fantastic gary anyway guys we'll see you in the next one